basically having an experience realizing that I was my own worst enemy always and forever and that everything was my fault. Good to meet you, Raj. Likewise, brother. Um, yeah. I'm over-caffeinated, so I'm like fired up. <laughs> You're jacked up, huh? That's good. Welcome to the show here. So I guess we'll go ahead and get things started. So I'm Joe. I'm here with Mike and Raj. Today is our special guest. So for those that don't know you, uh, why don't we go through a little bit of background. So you have uh, a pretty, pretty interesting uh, trip from where you started to where you're at today. So you started from oh, Chicago, right? I was born in Chicago. Yeah. And that's where it all started and it, uh, evolved from there. Um, so oh, there we go. So Chicago grew up, you know, normal kid and long story short, just one, one, uh, parent home. And uh, kind of allowed me too much freedom. I became a uh, criminal, drug dealer, just all around loser. Um, wanted to, was surrounded by people that um, wanted to uh, break the law, make as much money as possible illegally, and go to jail as a way of becoming a man. And um, what this is like 15, 16, 17 and, uh, high school is just a blur. Um, you know, just made, just passed because being friends with teachers and stuff like that, not actually doing work, complete waste of time and uh, waste of space. Uh, I was, and, uh, got saved one night, uh, by a cop basically, uh, I had moved to Indiana with my mom after high school. Uh, I, I was uh, coming back from Chicago uh, from a, a pickup, a big pickup, and my trunk was full of drugs. And uh, I got pulled over around midnight down the street from where our, my mom lived. And no one else was on the street, like Indiana roads at midnight. If you've ever been there, you know, just no one's around. And this guy comes out of nowhere, pulls me over and comes up to the window and says, uh, get out of the car. And so, okay. Uh, I mean, I'm dressed fairly well. I have a leather jacket on. I always kind of, you know, had some sense of uh, sartorial uh, clothing style. And um. Um, he's, he's standing by the trunk and I, and I go over to the trunk and he just starts asking me basic questions. Um, you know, where do you live? Stuff like that. And I, you know, do you know why I pulled you over? I guess I had limo tinted windows. So basically my car was a magnet to get pulled over and which was fine with me because I was an idiot. And he basically has a canine unit, right? So he, he shines the light on his dog as it's barking. And he says, can my dog search your, search your trunk? And I said, that's fine. And he said, can I search you? And can I search your car? And I said, I looked him in the eyes and I said, that's fine with me, officer. And so in this moment, 
uh, basically from when I got out of the car to when I walked to the trunk, I had kind of died inside. Like I, I just feel, felt like my life was over and I was, I was surrendered. I was okay with, with it ending. I was like, let's go to jail. Let's do this. Um, I totally get it. So he looks at me for about, you know, eight seconds and, and eight seconds in that moment is an eternity, right? It's just, it's, it's quick in, in reality, but he's looking at me, I'm looking at him and he says, I trust you. He puts his flashlight away, walks to his car and drives away without, without saying anything else. And I'm standing at the, outside by my car at the trunk just you know dumbfounded not really sure what i've never felt like a second chance i've never felt like anything any kind of divine intervention but at that moment i was like whoa you know that was as as real as it gets to a second chance and luckily thank god you know it it dawned on me in that moment. And I, I reflected on it enough standing there in the middle of the night and on an empty road, like I'm free. And I, I like freedom. I'd rather be free than locked up. So I changed my life that night. I kind of vowed to myself, I'm going to like, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be a man. I'm going to give back to society. I'm never going to break the law again. It's just too close of a call. And I did. I, I changed my life. I started an asphalt company with my friend. Uh, we started to make a lot of money and we did really well. Um, and then that's what led me to being disillusioned with money um, and, and jumping up or jumping kind of out of that scene and go, joining a monastery in the jungles of Hawaii. So wow. uh, can you tell us a little bit about that process that like, what was it that made you disillusioned with money that, that goes from that point A to Hawaii on a mountainside point B? Yeah. And it's a pretty hard pendulum swing for yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh man. I'm all about pendulum swings. I'm either, I'm the kind of guy, I'm either all or nothing. I either go all in or it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. And um, I've always been that way. So like if I start lifting, I, I learn everything I can about lifting. If I play a sport, I obsess over the sport until I master it. And then I, you know, um, I don't know why it's just a part of my nature, I guess. Um, yeah. So asphalt company, great business to be in extremely lucrative. If you're in a, a, a good town with, without a lot of competition. So we start seal coating and then uh, that's laying that tar that over asphalt, making it black. It goes from gray to black. But then, and then we started to evolve, lay asphalt driveways, and we started to do um, seal code parking lots and striping and working for um, law firms that had 10 properties. We were set with $3,000 on a good day. And, you know, for someone who's 18, 19 years old, too much, too soon, way too much money, did, had no idea what to do with it. It was, it, as soon as we got it, it was gone um just had fun and you know there's nothing I, i'm not against that but uh it 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 led me fast re to realize that you know 
money wasn't the answer to what I needed, what to what you needed for happiness and contentment, lasting happiness and contentment. You know, looking back, do we all need money? Yes, right? Duh. There's no question about it. But, but how much do we depend on money for security is another question. So back then, right, 19 years old, money, you know, if I have money equals that equals life fulfillment. And it wasn't true. I realized it wasn't true. Got became disillusioned with with the company and you know making money in general. My business partner felt the same way. We we were friends for life. We grew up together, um, and um, we always came to the same realizations around the same time. You know, when you grow up, I have two sisters, but he's basically my brother. Uh, we just like we were each the the brother we were never we never had. So um he reads a book by a monk one day and like we couldn't work when it rained so one week it, it rained for a whole week and the asphalt and tar business if it's raining or if it's even overcast you're not working it's not a good idea you just keep the equipment in the garage and you're off for that day so that's why when it's on and the weather is good you could work seven days a week because there's no telling when there'll be a period when you can't work so we're off for this week, and and uh, my friend Tony had had read this book by a monk, and he said, "You got to read this book. Like, it's it's kind of answering all these questions I had." So I read it. It's all about the monk's life and and what um, like spiritual security can give you, and and what realizations you can have as a monk, and what you can do with willpower, et cetera, et cetera. It's like self-mastery, right? And so uh, the book was Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. Uh, you may have heard of it. It's kind of a popular book in that genre. Most people have, like most spiritual, mystical, whatever people have the book or have read it, and then they go to another book. So I read that book, and when I finished the book, I had decided that I was going to be a monk. That, that was it for me. It was that all or nothing mentality. I was like, okay, if, if, if this guy can get self mastery as a monk, I'll go and, and master meditation and understand consciousness and then you know, attain self mastery. I'll just do that today. So I, I told my family, um, I, I gave my company away to a friend of mine who had just gotten out of jail. Uh, well, I should say prison. And uh, he, he uh, worked with me in the, in the criminal uh, world. Uh, he had unfortunately gotten caught, or fortunately, and um, luckily I hadn't gotten caught and we were in the same string of events. So I had been spared uh, from that. So he got out, he needed something to do. So I said, take my asphalt company. Here's all my contacts. We'll drive around for a week. I'll introduce you to everybody. You're the new guy. Sayonara and good luck. Um, I My dad made me a deal. He said, I'll buy your ticket to the jungle if you come with me. This is around 2006. Uh, to come with me to New Orleans. Help clean up for a week after Hurricane Katrina. And uh, I'll buy you your one-way ticket. And I did. I went with him to help help clean up with uh, a nonprofit uh, organization called Acorn. And we cleaned up homes for a week um, in the lower ninth ward. That was a, oh, quite the experience. 
we come back from that. My dad makes good on his deal, buys me a ticket to the jungle. My sister, who lived in the jungle before as a survivalist, weird family, said, I'll go with you for a month. I'll train you how to live in the jungle. I said, okay, let's do it. So I, I leave my apartment fly off with my sister to Hawaii and uh, the island, the garden island of Kauai. And there we are uh, with a tent. And um, I got 75 bucks in my pocket and a leather jacket, uh, which is totally useless in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> you know, again, I was an idiot. So <laughs> yeah. You, well, there's no way to know that. Uh, I actually, so I actually grew up in Hawaii uh as a young guy under 10 so i've been to Kauai. oh awesome yeah so you so i first thing i did was give that that jacket away yeah. <laughs> uh, makes sense. humidity oh, yeah. <laughs> and there we were on the sands uh every three days going from different kind of remote location to another location gathering coconuts uh uh, she showed me wild bananas and how to chop them down. We had an axe and a machete that we got from, I think it was Walmart. Yeah, it was, it was in mm. was that Lahui in Walmart, I think. Um, and there I was, you know, fulfilling my uh, aspirations of self-mastery as a wanderer and uh, learning how to live without anything. Now, how long were you there with your sister? Uh, she was there for one month. Okay. And then that's when you went to, you found the monastery. Yeah. So my friend, Tony, who, uh, business partner, uh, basically, uh, researched Kauai a little bit. And he said, since you're going to Kauai, um, you know, there's this monastery there, there's monks there, like they, they train and do self mastery, whatever. Um, he said, maybe you want to go check that out, you know, instead of living in the jungle. I was under the mistaken impression that you were going to go to the monastery. Mm. And then that trip with your sister was just like an intermediary kind of step. No, I, I, I renounced basically to renounce means to throw down. I I renounced the world and I was going to wander the jungle forever. Like I had no plan. There was nothing. And so you know, the monastery was an idea brought up by my friend. And then it went right to the back of my mind. I was like, well, okay, you know, whatever. I'll put that back there. And, and who knows, right? Who knows anything at this point? I literally know nothing from moment to moment, except I need to study myself. I need to study consciousness. And I need to figure out if meditation can raise your consciousness and the mind can be mastered. Those are the biggest questions I have. And my only techniques are like my mom taught me meditation when I was a kid. And, and you know, I knew I had to observe my breathing. That was it. So there we are every morning waking up, you know, there's a monk seal washed up on the shore, digesting food. Um, and we're just I'm meditating uh, a lot of the day, talking with my sister about philosophy. And she's just like, she's on vacation. She has to go back to Texas. She has a plane ticket back. So she knows when we need to start going back towards the airport. And we are just exploring the island, like the remote parts of the island. I, 
I knew nothing of the inner, uh, the inland, right? The area past the one highway that circles the island. I knew nothing past that highway except for the Walmart where we got the machete and the axe. Um, so right now we're on the opposite side well, the, of the island for the most part for the monastery, right? So the monastery is up um, past the airport in uh, Kapa'a, a town called Kapa'a in the Wailua homesteads, Kauai Sindhu Monastery. Um, the month is coming to an end. It's just amazing. Like thinking back on it, I can't believe my sister did that. We talk about it. We were just talking about it the other day. Like what the hell were like, were we thinking? And uh, so we, we, uh, we did this month soul searching thing. She was going to go, I was going to stay. I found my like location to live in a, in this tent where I was relatively far away from people and, and civilization. And in, in Hawaii, or I should say in Kauai, that's relatively easy to do. Um, there's all, I think there's only like 70,000 people on the island and uh, it's, it's relatively remote because of the landscape, et cetera, et cetera. She says, you know, um, maybe you should check out that monastery thing. It's, you know, I guess she didn't probably trust my skills uh, surviving and everything like that. And she was kind of worried. She was like, you know, we had our fun, but why don't you like look for that thing and get trained by someone at the same time? I'm thinking, you know, I think I need a teacher. I need someone to show me what to do. Cause I can meditate. I can, I can chant, you know, I can philosophize about life, but I don't have any real focus and aim. Nothing is measurable. And I don't know what success looks like in this field. So yes, I'm thinking I need a teacher. She brings up her doubts and I say, all right, Roger that. I'll, I'll go to uh, the monastery and see what the hell that's all about. I call them up. I'm like, hey, uh, I'm interested in training. I want self-mastery. Uh, teach me. You know, I'm, I'm just an arrogant person at this. I, I, in those days, I was a egotistical, narcissistic maniac, basically. Um, and I was the center of the world. Ironically enough, after being a monk for 12 years, I ended up being the center of the universe anyway. So <laughs> I am uh, talking with this monk who is, later ends up being a brother of mine. And, and he says, all right, well, let's back up a second here. When, when are you planning on coming to the islands? And I said, I'm here already. I live here. I have nothing else. I am literally... I gave up my life for this path. And he said, okay, you're one of those, um, you know, because they- You're they one of those. I've <laughs> <laughs> had this before, huh? <laughs> oh man, does it ever. It's, it's, called, it's called being homeless and being poisoned by your own youth. Mm -hmm. And um, basically he said, come on a tour. They're once a week. After the tour, ask for me and we'll have a, we'll have a chat. Now the the monastery is on the other side of the island, pretty much. It's far away. It's not to to think about walking there is is uh, is not possible. It, it would to be too much of a hardship. So, in around this time, my sister had made friends with locals. You know, again, she wasn't there to live. She'd been there before. She knew some people. 
when I would be training like on the beaches, she would be in town hanging out, you know, mm-hmm. she, she's an extremely magnetic person. She can meet a stranger. And at the end of the day, we're all best buds. And the island, like the locals there were really nice to us. I mean, we were Howleys, right? We were white folks. Um, but we were treated, we were treated like locals for some reason. They would, so eventually they would bring us food and uh, Salt Pond Beach Park is eventually where we landed, like just outside of it. So Salt Pond Beach Park has a, a crew of, uh, of locals um, called the Salt, Salt Pond Crew. Every day after work, they go to the to that place. They play music. You know, they bring guitars and they sing and stuff. Like they're just jolly good people, and uh, they have they have food and everything. So they invite us to that. We have we have beers and and um, it's just it's just really cool how that happened. Um, and so I, when you got you know, to the Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, I was gonna ask when you got to the monastery for the uh, uh, for the tour, what was that like? As far as what did it meet your expectations? Was it really a big surprise, culture shock? Yeah. So I got to the monastery via a guy at the Salt Pond Beach Park. His name was Joda Monk, and he said, "I'll take you to the I'll take you to the tour day, whatever. I'll, I'll drive you to the monastery." So this guy ends up being my lifeline from the beaches to the jungles to the to civilization. He, he drives me to the monastery and I go on the tour. Um, and all of a sudden I realized that that's where I'm supposed to be. This is, this is the place for me. It's, it's tranquil, you know, there, it's beautiful. And I can tell there's a vibration here of self mastery, right? You can just feel it when you walk into it, the air is thick with self mastery. Um, I meet the monk at the end of the tour. And he finds out I'm living there, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and he says, go home. You're not welcome. Absolutely not. You've been denied. Have a nice life. So I'm like, all right. The uh, Dr. Strange kind of treatment right there. Yeah. I mean, and- you know, I was expecting it. I was like, no way will these okay. people actually let me walk in here. No way. I love this place. but This is not my style. I'm like, all right, no worries. He said, I think you should go back to the mainland, get a job, you know, become a person, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, no, negative. I'm in the jungle. It's where I'm supposed to be. I get it. Um, Didn't expect to stay here anyway. See you later. Have a nice life. I go back. You know, Joda Monk is in the parking lot driving me back. He's like, hey, hey, brother, you know, it's their loss, whatever, you know. So I go back to the campsite and I call my mom because I I, I, um, I hadn't talked to her at this point. So I give her an update. Hey, mom, you know, monastery thing didn't work out. I'm going to be in the jungle for the rest of my life. I'll, I'll probably never talk to you or see you again. Love you. Bye. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you know, uh, go back, basically. Uh, they're testing you. It's not, it's not what you think. They're, they're just trying to see your commitment and how easily you give up. So I'm like, okay, um, I'm not sure how I can, I'm not sure how I can like go back. I, I can't just get a ride every day, but whatever. I'll, if, if something comes up, I'll go back. So sure enough, my sister comes back to the campsite from being at the library. She meets a friend um, and she says, hey, for the last few days that I'm here, uh, before I go on fly off, 
I'm, we're going to go live at her place and just spend a few days. And I was like, I'll just stay here because I'm not, I don't need to be with you like before you leave, you know? And she says, no, no, I want you to come back with me. Or I want you to come with me and stay for a few days before I fly off. So I said, okay, where does this person live? And she said, she lives right down the street from the monastery. So I said, all right, um, I'll take that as synchronicity. And we go to this person's place. She lets me sleep on the couch. And I go back and forth to the monastery every day. Um, eventually, one of the monks comes out and says, "You, uh, we told you to leave, but um, you come back every day. You know, and one of the monks wants to see you. And I was like, you, oh. you know, so I, I go into uh, I'm, I'm escorted into an office uh, to this senior monk. He's got you know, long, white, flowing beard, robes and long, white hair and everything wrapped up in a, a top knot. And they have the samurai haircut where the top part is shaved and bald, and then the rest is grown out, and the top knot is actually pointing towards the back. Hmm. So, uh, because the entire monastery is, is conditioned and, and created from a, a Japanese theme uh, of, of like 16th century uh, samurai culture, uh, but it is a Hindu monastery. So I sit down, he says, have some tea with me, uh, and let me find out more about you and why you're here. And he said, we, you know, we, we told you to go home, et cetera. Uh, what do you want? And I said, I want training. Um, I, I want self-mastery. I want me to master meditation. And he kind of laughed and everything. And, and, and he's like, all right, tell you what, come back every day at the same time, have tea with me and ask, ask me questions and we'll talk about the path. So I said, okay, great. Happy to do that. Uh, I gave, I, 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 so I did that for a few days. I called my mom and I said, hey, so I'm going to the monastery every day. It worked. Uh, you know, that's that, I guess. She said, now what you do is you ask them how you can work for them and make their mission your mission. Right. So like stop being a selfish bastard. Stop, stop wanting everything for yourself. Try to find out how you can blend with their mission and make it your mission. So I said, OK. I go back, we have tea. I've asked him all these questions. I finished my tea and he says, you know, anything else before you go? And I said, how do I work? You know, I don't want to leave here after tea. I'd like to stay on the grounds as long as possible. And he laughed and he like twirled around in his chair and he, and he said, um, what do you mean? And I said, and I said, I want to stay. I don't want to leave at all actually. So how can I stay here? And he said, all right, after tea every day, what you'll do is you'll go out into the forest outside my office, underneath the banyan tree and pick up sticks from the forest floor. You take those sticks, you put them in a pile. When you're done making that pile, you take those sticks from one pile and then you put them on the other side and make another pile. And you do that until we tell you to stop and then you go. And I said, all right, I'm in, I'll do it. I finished my tea every day for the next few days now. My sister, so my sister flew off. 
I'm there and going back and forth. The lady's house I'm staying in, she said, you can stay here as long as you need to, wherever this transition takes you, whatever. And I go to the monastery in the mornings. They're open from nine to noon. I have tea, uh, or no, I go and meditate in the temple. I read, I go have tea with the monk. I ask him questions. We talk about the path. And then I go pick up my sticks. And for about an hour, and then someone comes out and shoes me away. This goes on for about a week. Eventually, I'm picking up my sticks one morning. A monk comes out. He says, I want to take your picture and show it to the head honcho. I said, okay. I come back the next day. I do my routine. Pick it up my sticks. The guy comes back out. Same guy who told me to go home. And he says, we've accepted you into a six-month training pro program. And you can stay for that long to see how you perform. Mm -hmm. That lasted 12 years. Oh, wow. That's impressive. So now I think we're getting into, oh, we lost Mike. I'll, uh, I'll bring him back in when he gets back. So this is, I think, what a lot of people are going to want to know about is like, what, what was the big revelations? Like how, what's that process look like? Once you're in a monastery, it's, there's a lot of mental pictures that people probably already have from media, uh, books and yeah. so forth. Like how much does that match reality? Yeah, they're all wrong, basically. <laughs> Everyone's wrong. All right. It depends, really. It depends on which monastery. Some monasteries, they're right. Some monasteries, they're wrong. In this one, they're wrong because this is a unique organization. Blended, created and blended with a samurai culture, a Hindu culture, uh, South Indian specifically, and a military culture all blended into one organization. So we are in a, a militaristic organization fueled and run by male males dating back since uh, 1950. All right. So here we are. There is uh, structure to every part of the day. There is routine schedule. There are consequences for missing that routine. There is work to do. Um, it is a self-sustaining organization uh, and it runs, it runs by the work and the hands of the monks. Right. So you are thrown into extreme order, you're in extreme schedule, discipline, and via you know work and, and perfect timing. The, the more sharp and trained you get, the better the inside works for you and, and the closer you get to self mastery. So the inside of yourself, yourself reflects the out, outer world and the outer world reflects the inside. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I've got a military background myself. So there's a lot of parallels to what, uh, what you're talking about, to what we used to go through. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. So we start out as you know, a cadet in a, in a training house with the other guys in your class. I had five guys um, that went in with me and you have six months to experience every department. You get rotated, you, you get worked, you meet the other monks, uh, you have classes, you learn Hatha yoga, uh, meditation styles and things like that. You don't meditate with the monks. You don't, you don't, uh, join the monks for everything that they do. You're actually kept at a distance. You, you are clearly, you know, classified as a rank. And um, 
you're integrated into that society as much as you can get. You're supposed to um, feel out the path, see if it's for you, you know, like basic training, and then you're supposed to go home for three months and make the decision if you want to stay. You make that decision back home. You don't make that decision there. It's almost like a rum, rum springer kind of event. I've heard that yeah. word. Uh, it's uh, yeah. it's it's from uh, the Amish. So they are raised Amish. Then you have a period of time where you go out and yeah. live in a Western lifestyle. And then you decide, do you want to go back to living as Amish? Or do you want to stay in a more contemporary lifestyle? Mm-hmm. So you just kind of go on a little hiatus and then you can usually they come back. You are correct. 100%. That is what happened. So you went on your, your rumspringa and then you did your three months at home. Were your parents surprised by the changes or your mom in this case? Hello? Um, oh, there we go. Changes. No, I mean, okay, I went back and I was still like, I, I was still kind of a uh, an idiot. I don't know. I, I hadn't yet really changed all that much in six months. I was on good behavior. I did what I was supposed to do. But when I went back home, I just hung, hung out with friends. I drank, you know, partied still. I was still, I was still in that mindset. I was kind of like, I'm going to give up the world. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go back, but I'm still me. You know, I still had my old name and everything. I wasn't Raj. And uh, I had to go through a process of legally changing my name and, uh, you know, publishing that, telling everyone that. So my parents were, you know, my dad, he lives uh, in Chicago. He's always been in Chicago. He, he thought I was just like a beach bum. Uh, I, I was. I mean, I didn't explain it well. I was still, you know, immature. So I was like, I'm going to go do this with a monastery and be a monk. And they were like, you know, whatever. We, we don't really get it. My mom, um, she was, she, I think she said she was supportive and everything, but she didn't think it would last. No one thinks this kind of thing is going to last 12 years. Let a, you know, they don't think that's going to last a year. It's just a phase. Right. Mm. So, you know, I, I had what approval I, I needed, I guess, which I didn't need any and I didn't care. So I said bye to my friends. And then I think on the third, I think it was three months. Um, sometimes it's three, uh, sometimes it's two or four. But they called me back and he said, the monk, my my rep, basically monk rep said, um, you know, we've, we can buy your ticket back. Are you ready to come back? You change your name and all that stuff. And I said, yep, I'm ready to go back. I, I paid off my debts and uh, kind of passed on all my duties that I can think of and uh, ready to rock and roll. So I, they get me a ticket back. I fly back. And I'm um, welcomed into uh, one of the departments that I did best in, which was landscaping, construction, and mechanics. And um, I trained in that for seven years under um, like one of the toughest monks there, basically the monk that breaks in all the wild horses, hmm. uh, metaphorically. So over your over the which next I would years, watch. you were oh yeah yeah. So, uh, so seven years you did that now over the next five years of your 12 years while you were with them, 
did you change to a different position? What was that last five years like? Yeah, basically I got, um, I was allowed to uh, reclassify myself in another department for promotion. Um, I wanted to transfer out. Me and my um, former senior kind of, we, um, we butted heads a lot. There was a lot of conflicting messages about my rank, what I was being trained to do, and then how I acted in the field. And he would kind of say one thing in his office about my leadership. And then when I expressed that leadership in the field, I was then corrected as, you know, not supposed to have done that. And I said, I'm getting conflicting messages here. You know, you want me to rank up. And and I would have, you know, I was on that path to rank up. And yet he was he was trying to keep everyone like on his side and not appear that he was telling me things in in his office about Mm. lead the team, basically. So I would go out there and lead the team and everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, I'm I'm being told by our department head that I'm going to lead today. And they'd be like, absolutely not. So you can see how I was like, I'm conflicted here. This isn't making any sense. And I later realized that the department head was doing that to almost everyone in the department, gaslighting and just Mm. it it was getting kind of weird. You know, look, not all the monks are perfect. Just because you're a monk doesn't mean that you still don't have issues and things like that. So while I'm going through my own evolution and trying to figure myself out, you've got everyone else doing the same thing. They've just some of them have been there longer. So you would hope that there's a certain progression, but it doesn't always happen that way. And I, and you will know, even in the military, you've got good leaders, you've got good soldiers, but then you've got, you've got some serious problems. You know, chain of command doesn't always work out. Right. Yep. So I understand any, any corporation, any family, it's, it's a microcosm, macrocosm, yin yang balance, right? It's, it's here and it's everywhere at the same time. Um, so it's just life and learning how to navigate through that, through that, through chaos into order and, and transform chaos as you navigate through the fog of life is the, is self mastery. That's what it is. There is no singular point in time where you go from immature to self mastery. It's like you're constantly tested. It's, 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 uh, Mm -hmm. It's just an evolutionary thing, right? And then you die, right? So, well, other than the politics and infighting, did what else did not meet your expectations when you went in? Or did you have a lot of expectations going into it? No, I didn't have any expectations going in. That was pretty much it. Once I once I realized that okay, there's red tape, there's politics. There's rank senior leaders. They get what they want. The grunts do what they do and, and um, you know, don't get as much. Once I figured that system out, I flourished. So it took, it took like four years to flourish. And then when I was good, then I had expectations. And when those when when I when I knew I was good, but yet I, the the other seniors were being told that I was shit still. I was like, all right, my senior leader is painting a uh, inc- incorrect picture. 
let's let's prove them wrong. I want out. I'm going to transfer out. I want to go with the big boys, and I want to be in the the, the other department. Uh, the, so the media department was where all the seniors went. Um, the traveling, the teaching, the the you know the the philosophers, uh, the website, the editors, the writers, publishers, those guys. I wanted to be creative types. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, and it just happens to be the most senior ranking monks in the entire organization. And they usually go the highest from that department. Mm. So I was like, I want out. I want to transfer into this department. You know, you know, let me show you what I got. All right. Because I'm not what they're saying. And so I packed up my stuff in a box, right? Everything on my desk. And I said on, on, on a, like a Friday, we, we went by a different calendar, but we'll call it Friday. And I said, on Monday, you know, I'm not working in, in your department. So I was basically, you're not supposed to do that. Like mm -hmm. totally subordinate, not cool possibility of being thrown out. So the senior, senior group said, look, you're, we don't know what's going on. You may be right. You may be wrong. You're going to have to meet with everyone, but we want three days. You're going to, we want you to go and like, you're not a part of anything here go out to the forest at the edge of the property, hang out there for three days. Hmm. So I was like, okay, I was basically cast out for three days so that they could figure out and have their meetings and stuff like that. Yeah, basically time out, it sounds like. Yeah, cool off, you know, chill yeah. out. Because uh, I was, I was, you know, I'm kind of, a, I'm, I'd like to think of myself like as a doer. I move way too fast for most people. And except when I explain stories. And uh, so I was like, I was like, let's get the show on the road. Put me in Monday. And they're like, hang on. Um, so long story short, after meeting with everyone, well, this this is not a short story. Um, I meet with everyone. They they agree with me. And one of the monks, I'll never forget what he said. He said, you know, I'm going to bet that it, it, it doesn't really matter if you're right or wrong. But we're going to find out if you're full of shit and if you're full of shit, you're out like this is going to be a great test for you. So I'm rooting for you. Um, but I also don't I don't care about what anyone says. I don't care about what your department head says. And I don't even care what you say. All I know is you're about to enter like the high, highest scrutinized department you could possibly be in. And you had it easy before. So if you're having problems there, something's going to go wrong here if you're wrong. So I was like, bring it. Okay. I flourished. Like I was given respect. I was given space and I was given leadership and I just ran with it. And sure enough, I was promoted several times very quickly. I got budgets left and right. I was given responsibility very quickly and just rock and roll. And everyone was good. That five years was, was, amazing like uh the, the seven years prior were amazing i really went through a lot of, of shit i needed to and i became a man in that first seven years i became an adult the last the, the last five years were like let's see you flourish when you're given the, t the right team the right tools and it, and it was awesome um i traveled around the world i helped mentor people i mentored uh, at least 500 young men online um, help people become adults themselves. Uh, I wrote three books. I 
met, learned another language, um, did Sanskrit um, temple rituals and flourished within and without. It was it was great. So what was your favorite memory about the process of this evolution? You talked about becoming a man. That's that's a big key part. Yeah, there's at some point there's this process that you go through and there's going to be a key moment where it's like the aha moment. What yeah. was that like for you? Well, we call it in that in the in that field we call it um, the death of the ego, um, it, or the dark night of the soul. Basically, you have your young self and your your spirit. You know, your spirit in in our philosophy is perfect. There's nothing developing with your spirit. You're you're migrating into spirit, and that's where the pain and the hardship and the challenge comes from because ego. Ego is pushing away from spirit and saying, no, we are, um, we exist, we matter, um, we have to look perfect, this and that. So as you try to blend into who you really are, you experience friction, okay? That friction is that, that pain through life that we evolve out of or from. And so, you know, because it's cliche, right? None, none of this is new. So that is both the the best part of the journey i was on and the hardest that specifically happened several times but the last time it happened was was uh, the the a full i would i would say a full transition into from my immature self what i've learned who i was dying and then like a rebirth and and that was in a two year period before i left um, so 2010, uh, basically having an experience, realizing that I was my own worst enemy always and forever, and that everything was my fault. And I was to blame for everything wrong in my life and everything good in my life. That kind of leads me to my next question was, so after you left the monastery and you got back out into the world, when you look back on that time, what would be your number one takeaway? Um, nothing, nothing is as it seems ever. And there has to be a point in your daily routine that you extinguish or flush everything you think, you know, hmm. uh, on a daily it's, basis. Interesting idea as a wow. daily routine. All right. Not only daily, one of my theories of effective and powerful people is that they, change their value hierarchy moment to moment and and who you are so who i am at the end of you know right now could change at the end of the sentence and if i'm that fluid then there's no container i can't fit into right to take from bruce lee yeah that's what i was just thinking of that's that's interesting yeah that maximum fluidity yeah we talk about we talk about that and being adaptable we also talk a lot on this channel about being congruent which is, you know, your idea of you've got to have some type of beliefs that at least get you from day to day and week to week that carry you through just as a guideline for yourself. Um, but at least, Correct. you know, most people, I, that's what I find for myself. Um, we talk yeah, a lot about, yeah. yeah, that's, and that's what I'm getting at is we talk a lot about ego death is what well, we talk about ego, not necessarily ego death in the spiritual sense. We talk about it more in terms of a 
we, and what we call frame, which is looking at your beliefs of yourself. But I, I wanted to ask a question around the, the thing that you touched on earlier about cognitive dissonance. So your beliefs about yourself, everybody has conflicting beliefs about themselves to a certain degree, right? Some more than others. How do you go through the process or how did you go through the process of resolving those conflicting beliefs? And, and if you had to give people advice on that, what would the advice be? So I think it has to be, you have to go into it with Zen. If you don't, it's not going to work. Meaning I had conflicting beliefs about who I was and I was resisting that death process. If you haven't gone through an annihilation of ego, you're not yet who you are really are. You're not yet who you're supposed to fully be. And, and you're, you should keep that self doubt and you should, while at the same time, maintaining that frame. And the more it's, it's a paradox, it doesn't make sense, but the more you can let go of, of frame, the more frame you could possibly ever have. And I understand the red pill dynamics. It's you have to be careful with it all because it's potentially disruptive to the way life really is. And you don't want to create frame when no frame is needed. You don't want to not have frame when frame is needed. So if you if you constantly construct constructs that are solid, you will never be able to be a chameleon and shape yourself to any situation. However, if you're too fluid, you won't know who you are deep down inside when the shit hits the fan. You have to know both and nothing at the same time. This puts into wow. context the article you wrote, uh, The Cardinal Rule of Relationships, Let Things Go. Incredibly well put there. Yeah. yeah. This, this all kind of gels together now. I can see where the context of what, how that was written and where your background is from. Makes a lot of sense. A lot, of, a lot of guys struggle with that early on is understanding the difference between those two things you just described. Yep. Yeah. And I, I was just talking to one of my guys uh, today, you know, for young guys, it's sex, right? Like relationships, women, um, you got to be careful because on one end you have people talking about frame where the more frame you have, the more you get laid. And it's like, how do you, how do you, yeah, how do you distinguish yourself as, an adult, a mature man. Yeah. And, and you're like, no, 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 no. Okay. Those guys don't represent um, the, the mission as a whole. And, and that must be tough for you guys. You guys must face that every, I mean, daily. We did one of our seminal videos we did was all about mission. Don't make women your mission. You got to make your, you got to get your head together. Yeah. We did a deep dive on frame. And one of the comments was um, if frame is not a mask that you put on, it's yeah. not. It's not something that you just put on and say, I'm going to pretend like I'm this person and I'm going to kind of get there mentally eventually. You, to be fluid and actually change actually change your mind and change your mental model is one thing. Uh, but to just pretend it, it's more ego. You're actually do, using more ego if you're doing that. Yeah, it sounds like we all agree. Um, and the, I want to say that I used to write for the Good Men Project. It's one of those... It's one of those publications online where anyone can can submit something. It, it, it's Elephant Journal is the same way. Medium is the same way. Everyone mm -hmm. can can just you know produce something for them. It, it doesn't necessarily reflect on me. I think 
uh, in terms of being a good writer. And I, I still am not yet uh, a good writer. Um, and I don't think I ever will be because you have like Plato. So um, the thing about the Good Men Project is I actually thought it was like a good men project, but now I, I, I believe, to, uh, I think it's actually a good liberal progressive project. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I can I see where your stuff I, I get, but looking at some of the other stuff that's on there, it's been a very long standing critique. That's why I was like, wait a second, if he's coming from this perspective, there some things didn't quite make sense. But yeah, this kind of puts it all in the context. Yeah, this is yeah, good. Yeah, uh, I, I just, very you know, search engine optimization was key like a year ago. Um, I just wrote for whoever I can. And I thought the Goodman Project would be uh, among my values of supporting men. And, and obviously I, I support uh, both genders. But um, I have a knack for helping um young men i mean because young men need role models and you know uh we're in a period where we have been since world war ii was over where uh role models are and family lineages and wise men of the community are are a thing of the past right Mm -hmm. uh we no longer do what our father did and what his father did And, and so in that we lose socioeconomic political values and we lose um we lose culture and tradition so we're we're in that world yeah i think a lot of young guys nowadays have difficulties uh with their relationship with their fathers and that's part of that's part of what one of the videos we did that we talk about no no more mr nice guy um and dr glover stuff all the time that's a big piece of it um but if you can it, is that a is that an experience that you shared, uh, or or is that something that a lot of the guys that you mentor have trouble with their relationship with their dads? I would let's see. It, it kind I, of goes back to that pendulum swing. Most people are either you know they're exactly like their dad. Their dad was a great role model, or the pendulum swings the other way, and they're they want to be the exact opposite of them. Yeah, I think it depends. I mean, I think it a lot. A lot of it has to do with so the father uh, being order. Um, I think it, it can go either way. I think it's case sensitive. I, I hesitate to to lay any kind of blanket statements. Some some guys they don't communicate well with their father. The father doesn't communicate well with them. Um, even in good relationships, you still have people that are. Um, they have a problem with mom and there's not a complete dynamic there. It's just, it, it, it can be all over the place. Um, well, a huge complicating factor as, as well is the fatherlessness crisis where a lot of guys are growing up without a dad in the home to begin with. Yeah, dad's not around. Yeah. It's what roughly 40, 45% nowadays, somewhere in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So it's oh, a major yeah. factor. Well, major factor in, uh, in, in most criminal cases too. I mean, incarcerations, yeah. like what the percentage of incarcerations being single family homes specifically without the father. Right. It's about 80%. Yeah. Yeah. Which is tough. And I, I think that's why we're all here to your point of, of, you know, we need to, we need to make men better. And that's, that's part of all of our mission. Everybody that's on this call. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, my I realized uh, in 2015. I, I realized that I had come up from from where I did. I I I did certain things to become who I was, and I from inside something said this is now your duty to help other people. That's when I started writing online. That's when um, I started to help people uh, in like the NoFap area and just help guys with pornography. And, you know, then that just came out to helping guys shave, how to dress better, what things they can do, you know, to live life. And then after I wrote one of my first uh, publications for them, I realized that it wasn't these uh, individual habits. It was like a, 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 a mixture of dis the lack of discipline itself and the inability to orient themselves in the world. So they resorted to pornography. They resort to sleeping in. They resort to eating too much, not working out, you know, failing with, with, with uh, women. And, and for a while, I could see this community thing online be like, oh, no, it's just media. It's just pornography. It's just Facebook. So I'm, I'm leaving Facebook and, and I'm going to be fine after that. And it's like, no, all of that stuff in and of itself is, is, is attributeless. It, it contains no value until we assign it something, you know, the, the stoic perspective of the appearances of things. So I started to realize that, oh man, I, I became a better person. I became a man because I started waking up early and making my bed. And, you know, it's classic Jordan Peterson and Jocko Willing. I didn't even know who those people were. And then one of my guys said, man, you, you remind me of Jocko Willink. And I was like, who the fuck is Jocko Willink? <laughs> and then I was like, uh, just a convert from there. <laughs> Some of these guys, yeah. when you get it, you get it, right? And I think um, the, the interesting piece about what you said there is a, a lot of guys tell themselves, if I could just do X... I would be a functional guy, right? I'd be able to be the person I want to be. I stopped telling myself that lie a long time ago. You just got to make the, the right choices every day, day in, day out for yourself. Now, I think it's, it's, it's interesting that you called out as well, like Facebook, porn, these other issues. They are symptoms of a larger problem. Oh, yeah. And just trying to take that one thing out of your life isn't going to fix the, the, the root of the problem. That's where you yeah. got to do that deep introspection. And, and the death of the ego is where it all comes back to. 100%. And, and I, I eventually ended up telling everyone, like, be the kind of person, like, don't fight porn. Be the kind of person who doesn't have time to even think about that and, and yeah. just, just move on. Uh, and then I later even said, you know, you know, I, when I, I got so tired of that world, I was like, I don't even care. Like, so what? So you use porn and jerked off today. Like, move yeah. on. Get a yeah. life. I don't care that you did that. You shouldn't be so distraught that something happened to you. You know, that's part, that's like the 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 poison of the snake bite is worse than the snake bite. Yeah. The shame is what makes it such a big part of their life and perpetuates it. Yeah. So you mentioned a minute ago that this uh, you wrote for a publication for this community. Uh, what was that publication called? So that people oh. know where, so they know where to find you uh, after. 
No, I mean, uh, I so I wrote, uh, so I, okay, so on the online thing started out with 2015, helping those guys. That evolved the Reddit, uh, and then I just became uh, a, a group, a leader of a group called the Heirs. It was just a bunch of guys. We had 500 dedicated guys at one point, and I just wrote them books. Like I, 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 I wanted to get out of it and go back to my life in the monastery. And I uh, wrote these books as a way to uh, give them something, uh, you know, and then leave and set up for someone to take over for me and things like that. And I, I later took that trilogy, put it into one book for them and then gave it. And, and apparently they still are there somewhere today on Discord or something like that, um, mm -hmm. uh, using the, the, the book to, to teach and everything like that. And the um, book is... Um... As far as Everything is your fault. No, that that's just I wrote that uh, when I got out. Um, that was my first uh, public publication. Uh, I consider the other ones for, uh, just specifically for that for that group. Uh, I never publish anything uh, from that work. I don't really know if I like that work anymore. I don't even like a lot of my writing, but I just wrote this book because one of my students was was we had an eight month um, journey of, of teachings and everything. And she said, you know, please, can you document all this and make a book and write a book because people need to know this and they won't always be able to talk to you. So I said, fine. I wrote a book, I got it published and it's called everything is your fault. It's about a little bit about my journey and then interspersed with just teachings that I figured out along the way that helped me. Okay. So, so tell us about uh, the other book and tell us about the community that you're you creating. Is that still active? Took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Joe. I, I think it's still active uh, offline. I, I, I don't actually uh, – I don't – I'm not a teacher to online communities anymore. Mm -hmm. oh. I'm not a fan of that world too much. Um, I think they're on Discord. I I, I – I, um, so what I did in, 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 in replace of that, when I got out, um, I started a nonprofit called Zen Mind Academy, and we are a California charitable organization, and we train uh, young men and women uh, who uh, qualify, they're disadvantaged, they can't afford my coaching uh, rates, and so we, we train them for free uh, thanks to donors and um, what will one day have a, a facility where people can actually have residency programs, train in seminars, retreats, and then hopefully one day themselves become teachers. It's amazing how much overlap there is between what we're doing as far as organizations goes. That's yeah, that's incredible. It's, it's incredibly identical. This is in, this has been good. It's been fun. And so uh, that's so, where you're spending most of your time nowadays, right? I was so now I'm with NASA. I'm working on advanced uh, air mobility in a, in a team uh, under a task called films, which is just um, life sciences and um, aeronautics. So I'm, I'm helping clear ideas for them, answer, um, you know, bring up challenges, answer, uh, bring solutions as a team. And uh, and then on my free time, I work with clients, nonprofit, and I have a coaching company. Um, that I that I uh, teach people to. All right. For those that are listening, uh, how would they find you? What's the best way to get in touch? 
if you go to rajanshankara.com, that should link to everything. If you Google Rajan Shankara, I should be the only thing that comes up for three pages. All right. And we'll have all the links in the description below. Cool. Yeah. It's been uh, great having you on. I'd love yeah, to have you on in the future really. as well. With uh, So I don't know if you know Kieran. He was the one that referred you to us. Kieran uh, but, my students since 2015. So, yeah, I think maybe next time we'll have – I wanted to have him on today. I just didn't have a chance to get a hold of him. So, uh, yeah, maybe we can do something like that in the future. I had just talked to him before before we uh, we talked. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> we yeah, talked great. Uh, every other week. Um, yeah. Right. And then if you guys would want to be on my podcast, it's called Man in the Making. Um, we have a solid listener base of like 5,000 people. We just have conversations just like this. So I'd be honored if you guys hopped on one day and, and we just had yeah. a you know, long conversation. We'd love to. That's, yeah. a, that's a yes for both of us. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to. Awesome. Well, let's stay in touch, man, and keep the mission going. Roger sure. that. Will do. Thanks so much for the time and for the, the really insightful responses, for sure. Yep. All right, guys. Talk soon. All right. Yep.